Our reading for today is First uh, John 4, chapter 3. Everyone who practices sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. The word of the Lord. Good morning. So welcome. Um, if you're here for the first time, welcome. Um, so our church has been uh, following the New City Catechism, uh, and this week we're on question 16. Uh, and if you've noticed, or if you looked at the questions and answers, they're starting to get pretty long. So uh, we encourage all of you folks to learn the songs. Um, and it'll help you to memorize them. Uh, also, during this season of Lent, uh, we encourage uh, all of you folks to uh, participate in the theology Q&As. Um, and we're also going to have small group Bible studies after church. Um, if you could just commit six Sundays, um, there will be lunch and child care. And so after, after service today, um, we'll have those. Uh, so... We'll review um, all the questions, starting from question one. What is our only hope in life and death? What is God? How many persons are there in God? How and why did God create us? What else did God create? How can we glorify God? What does the law of God require? What is the law of God stated in the Ten Commandments? Question 13, can anyone keep the law of God perfectly? Did God create us unable to keep his law? And then this week, uh, we should be on question 16, what is sin? Uh, and the answer is, sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created not being or doing what he requires in his law. So we'll, fo we'll be focusing on question 16 today. So let's pray. Heavenly Gracious Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, we ask that you be with us as we learn question 16. Help us to understand what sin is so that we might somehow use this to glorify you. Grant us wisdom and patience so that our actions may be pleasing to you. Now let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
So there's been a lot of events that has occurred this past week. Of course, there was the beginning of Lent, and Lent traditionally begins on Ash Wednesday. For those of you who don't know, Lent lasts for 40 days when you exclude the Sundays, and it has customarily been viewed as a time of repentance before the celebration of Christ's resurrection. And this is perfect for our topic today. We're talking about question six, 16, what is sin? And it's when we reject or ignore God in the world. So it's good to have this time of repentance or season of Lent to remind us of our sinful nature and how we should turn back to God. As Christians, we're reminded of Christ's journey in the desert where he wandered in the wilderness for 40 days and nights, being tempted by Satan three times. Based on Matthew's account, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus gets hungry, and the devil tells Jesus, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus replies, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then Jesus, and devil, uh, then Jesus and the devil stand at the highest point of the temple, and the devil tells Jesus, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down and have the angels lift you up. And Jesus responds, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And finally, in the third temptation, the devil takes Jesus on a very high mountain, showing him all the kingdoms of the world, and tells him, all this I will give to you if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus yells, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I think this is an amazing account in the Gospels. And it goes to show how perfect, how flawless, and how astonishing our God is. And this account also reminds me of how sinful, imperfect, and flawed I am. If I were put in that situation, and if I were being completely honest with myself, there would have been no way that I could have done what Jesus did, especially with the first temptation. You know, it's kind of embarrassing to admit this, but... I would have been done on the first temptation. Like, if this were a game, I wouldn't have even been able to get past the first level. Like, seriously, I would have, I would have been done on the first try. Contrary to how I look, I, I love to eat. Like, <laughs> I'm skinny, but I love to eat. And you might not believe me, but I can really eat. Uh, growing up, my family... Like, we would finish eight cups of rice in one meal. Not, not eight cups of rice in one day, but eight cups of rice for one meal. Like, the whole rice cooker would be mopped up. And if you don't know what that means, uh, it's pigeon for saying, like, it's all gone. The rice was all gone. And so the rice would be all gone. And I'm sure if you have growing teenagers, you know what this looks like. And you know that your kids also love to eat. But before Jesus was even tempted, 
He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. So I stand corrected. I wouldn't even be able to make it to level one. Good luck to those of you who couldn't make it that far. Like, I would have quit during the intro. And even if somehow I made it to level one, you can bet all your money that I would have instantly turned those stones into bread or turned it into kimchi fried rice or whatever I felt like eating at that time. There's no question about it. No doubt in my mind. I would have fallen into sin. I would have submit to the devil. And it would have been game over. But I don't think I'd be the only one. I'm pretty sure, like 99% sure, everyone would have been on the same boat as me. As evidence, just look at the day before Ash Wednesday. What's, what's the day before Ash Wednesday? It's Mardi Gras or Fat Tuesday. Uh, some Christians might refer to it as Shrove Tuesday. Uh, shrove or to shrive means to cleanse or purify. So I know a lot of Christians try to prepare their souls and bodies for Lent by fasting, giving alms, or giving up something. They try to cleanse and purify themselves, and I think it's great. Uh, I think it's awesome. And this can be traced back to the early church and monasticism. Back then, uh, Christian monks and nuns wanted to set themselves apart from secular society. And as a result, they would move to the desert and form communities to live an ascetic life, which meant they would practice things like fasting. There's something about fasting that draws us into a deeper relationship with God. As a result, many people fast or give up something during Lent. But the problem arises the day before Lent The problem arises on Fat Tuesday. The theologian and pastor, Douglas Sean O'Donnell, writes how Fat Tuesday is one example of the law of moral entropy. How that which is pure changes to impure, virtuous to vice, and sacred to sinful. How something good changes to something bad over time. So I know I'm not the smartest guy here, and I might not be the best person to rely on, but I like to think of entropy in terms of a gradual decline into disorder. One example I think of is uh, a, a clean room becoming messy. Parents, you know this, no matter how neat or clean your room is, it doesn't stay that way if you have a child. The clothes come out, the toys come out, And even if you close all the doors and shut all the windows, there's still an orientation towards disorder. Even if you do nothing, dust can still collect in the room. O'Donnell takes this concept and applies it to our lives. Over time, the world has a way of turning that which is good and right into that which is evil and wrong. During Lent, we go through a journey to remember Christ and his actions. That's why we do things like fasting. 
But does that mean it's okay for us to sin on Mardi Gras and Fat Tuesday? Does it give us a reason to indulge or give us a pass to do whatever we want before Lent? Of course not. That'd be crazy. But we still covet junk food and things that aren't good for us. Some describe Fat Tuesday as a gluttonous feast. And back home in Hawaii, there's a famous bakery called Leonard's, and they sell something called a malasada. If you ever go to Hawaii, malasadas are a must. Uh, and just for fun, I googled what a malasada was. Uh, based on Google, uh, I found out it is a Portuguese confection made of egg-sized balls of yeast dough that are deep fried in oil and coated with granulated sugar. But I like my definition a lot better. It's fried bread coated in sugar. And everyone loves them. So in Hawaii, we call Fat Tuesday Malsada Day because everyone eats this. Everyone eats this deep fried sugar bread before the start of Lent. So the line to get malasadas go out the door. Uh, people wait for hours. And the day is just used as an excuse to eat the most unhealthy things people can get their hands on. As a business, Leonard makes about triple the amount on Fat Tuesday than on any other day. And so there's an inherent problem here. In a season where we are to shrove, where we are to cleanse or purify ourselves from sin, we diverge into the consumption of sin. Purifying becomes partying, and fasting becomes feasting. I think this just speaks to who we are at our core. We're sinners, and we have a natural inclination towards sin. It's part of our nature, and there's nothing we can do on our own about it. That's why we choose to do bad things even when we know it's bad for us. So we come to the question, what is sin? And sin is when we reject and ignore God in the world. Sin is the very action, is the very action caused by the inherent nature of who we are. We attempt to keep God's laws, but it's something we can't do. We're guilty of sinning over and over again. We're incapable of keeping God's laws. And so we sin. We couldn't possibly live up to God's expectations. And I found this to be a little sad. But I thought Pastor David said something powerful the other week. And I thought it would be, uh, I thought it should be, remind, I thought we should be reminded of it. You're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. You're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. Over the course of the week, as I kept reminding myself of this quote, I had such a hard time preparing this message. Not that it's something that I didn't know, but the more you study and prepare a message about sin, the more you start to realize how sinful you are. 
don't get me wrong, I always knew that I was a sinner. But the deeper I dived into understanding what sin was, the more I started to feel guilty. I felt more and more unworthy. And I felt incapable of preaching God's word. What could I possibly say to you all, to this congregation? But thanks be to God, it's not about me. It's not about what I've done or what I could say. Because it's all about Christ and what Christ has done. Not just for me, but for all of us. It was mentioned that some of these teachings would be difficult. Probably because we're constantly talking about sin and the law. And if you felt this way, if you felt like this, if you felt like it's been a rough couple weeks, know that you're not alone. I know I found it difficult, and it had some type of effect on me. But I felt the need to remind everyone that this isn't the end. And there's going to be a point where we reach the good news. But until then, we need to be present. We want to be where we are, right here, to grasp what sin is. In today's scripture, uh, I have the NIV version, so uh, my translation might be a little different, but um, in today's scripture we're told, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. It's at this verse where the author makes a shift. Starting from 1 John chapter 3, uh, verse 1, the author talks about those who are children of God and those who are in Christ. But in 1 John 3, 4, our verse for today, John shifts to those who do not belong to Christ. And to get a better understanding of what sin is, we want to stay on this side. And you might be asking, why? We're Christians. We've already devoted our lives to Christ. Our sins are forgiven thanks to Christ. And we belong on, on this category. But the reason we need to stay in this other category is to get a better understanding of sin. The best way to understand someone is putting ourselves in their shoes. So it'll help to look at the true nature of those who don't belong to Christ and those who practice sin and lawlessness. Here, when John talks about the sinner and how they practice lawlessness, he isn't talking about individuals who accidentally sin. Instead, he's referring to those with an attitude that resents God's, morals, uh, God's moral demands on their life. He's talking about those who purposely go against God's laws. In Greek, the word lawlessness is anomia. And this word is used more than 200 times in the Septuagint, or the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. And for those of you who like word studies, anomia begins with the alpha privative, which is equivalent to the English prefix un. So un, like 
unhappy, undue, unbelievable. And it's attached to the word nomos, which is Greek for the noun law. This results in unlawness or lawlessness for a better translation. So when John talks about those who practice lawlessness, he's not just talking about those who break the law. He's referring to something deeper than that. He's talking about those who hate the very existence of the law because we're held captive to it. We're we're supposed to submit to the law. So many atheists might fall under this category because they reject the very existence of God. As a result, their hearts are lawless. They reject the very idea that they need to submit to a higher being. They dismiss sacred texts like the Bible and reject having to follow its rules. In other words, anomia is the rejection of God's authority and elevating the autonomy of oneself. But there's something about our human nature that causes all of us to sin and all of us to fall into lawlessness. We dislike the idea of having to submit to laws or a higher authority. No one really likes being told what to do, and you don't need to look very far to witness this. People generally do the exact opposite of what they're told. And just ask some parents. If you tell a child, don't touch something, what happens? They immediately start to reach for it. Or if you tell a child, you, ha- uh, you have to eat all your vegetables, what ends up happening? I imagine they might play with their peas and carrots and drop it on the floor for the dogs to eat. And they don't end up eating their vegetables. But it's not only kids. Adults don't like being told what to do either. A doctor might tell someone with diabetes not to eat certain things like sweets or deep fried food. But if that person loves fried food or has a sweet tooth, you better believe diabetes isn't going to stop them from getting their hands on whatever they're craving. We have laws that prevent people from stealing, but we still have shoplifters. And in our current society, we witness an increase of violence against law enforcement. There's something about laws that go in conflict with our human nature. And it's because we're sinners. It's not only us. There are countless of stories in the Bible where our heroes practice lawlessness. As mentioned earlier, this word is cited more than 200 times. From the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 2, God tells Adam and Eve, the one thing they can't do is eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And what happens? They eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Looking at King David, the greatest king of Israel, even he was guilty of practicing lawlessness. The best, idea, uh, the best example that comes off the top of my head is Bathsheba. David is guilty of breaking a number of different commandments. He murdered Uriah. He coveted Bathsheba. He stole Uriah's wife 
and committed adultery. Looking at the book of Judges, everyone was guilty of lawlessness because everyone did as they saw fit. The Israelites didn't drive out the Canaanites like God commanded them. Gideon created an idol, and Jephthah sacrificed his own daughter. Even Abraham, someone who was known for his faithfulness towards God, was guilty of sinning and and committing lawlessness when he feared for his life. Twice he lied about Sarah being his sister. Every story in the Bible is about sin and how God eventually delivers us. No matter how good we want to be, we're just as guilty as everyone mentioned. We can't perfectly obey God's laws, and it's because we're sinners. We're just as guilty of practicing lawlessness as every other person in the Bible. We reject and ignore God in the world all the time. It's something we can't help. It's something we can't stop ourselves from doing because sin is more than a moral problem. We know right from wrong, but it's something we can't fix on our own. We're held under the bondage of sin and the law until Christ breaks through into our lives. I'd like to end by saying this. Sin is a very real and powerful part of our lives. Since everyone is a sinner, you might find it frightening or terrifying. And I think it is. A scary aspect is the fact that we can't deny there's sin in the world. No matter how much we want to be good, no matter how much we want to protect ourselves or protect our loved ones, we can't stop sin from happening. Just look at the Florida school shooting this past week. Words can't describe how shocking and terrible it is. There were countless of parents who found themselves helpless and stunned in that situation. As sinners, this is what I find terrifying about sin. We're trapped by it confined to it and deprived of freedom until Christ penetrates our lives. It's hard to hear, but John points out that whoever sins commits acts of anomia, acts of lawlessness. As guilty sinners, this means everyone is on the same level of guilt for practicing lawlessness. And I find this to be terrifying. But we also need to remember that our story doesn't end here. We need to remember that we're also beloved children of God, saved and redeemed by the redemptive power of Christ. And as we move through the New City Catechism, we'll learn more and more about how God delivered us thanks to his grace, love, and mercy. And I thank God that each day brings us one step closer towards an orientation of that eternal truth. Let us pray.
Lord, we thank you for this time where we could hear your word. Lord, we know that we're sinners. We're no, we know that we're unworthy of your love and your grace. Lord, we reject you in the world. And we ignore you all the time. But God, we know that you loved us. That you chose us. And that you are on our side. We know that we are beloved. We are a beloved child of God. And I pray that we never forget this. Lord, as we fall into sin over and over again, we ask that your presence be with us, that we be reminded of just of your truth, of your love for us, and that when we confront evil and sin in the world, we know that your power is greater and that you are for us. We thank you for your many blessings, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.